Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ned Bellavance, Ned1313 on Twitter, and welcome to the Daily Check-In for September 3rd, 2021. It's Friday, and it's a week. It's like a long weekend. It's Labor Day weekend if you're in the U.S., which means we get three days off. And for some of us, we actually get four days off because I believe Rosh Hashanah is on Tuesday. So depending on where you are and how your school district lines up, you might have a real big extended weekend. So that's exciting. Congratulations, you made it to the big extended weekend. And actually, for us, we also had Friday off uh, in terms of school districts, although there was no school yesterday because of the ridiculous rain and the down limbs and the power outages. So that was interesting. So the kids are actually getting, geez, they're getting like a six-day weekend, which is three days into school. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, uh, it's 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 been a year. It's been a weird year. So I'm, I'm not surprised that something strange would happen at the beginning of the school year. Anyway, let's check in. How are you? How's it going? Are you are you pumped about the weekend? Are you getting a longer extended weekend? I hope you are. And even if you're not, I hope you do something good with the weekend, whether that's relaxing because that's what you need to do, or you got some stuff you need to do around the house. Hope, hopefully you get that stuff done. I know there's a few things I have on my list, and with the extended weekend, I'm going to be in the garage a bit, kind of. We were supposed to clean the garage out this summer, and that never quite happened, and this is kind of, I feel like it's my last chance. So let's clean some of that old stuff out, rearrange some stuff that may have fallen into disarray, uh, you know, built up some, I'm not going to call it technical debt, but it's kind of like that. It's things that, oh, well, I'll get to that later. I'll, I'll fix that or rearrange that later. Well, later is now. <laughs> and that kind of leads me into the topic. So a buddy of mine sent me a blog post that I think is starting to make the rounds a little bit. And it's a blog post that talks about, oh, the title is Operations is Not Developer IT. And the central idea behind it, as far as I can tell, if I, if I distilled it down to what I thought the post was about, was DevOps implemented badly is basically... This could be the title of the post. Now, the particular gripe that the author, uh, Matt Dugan, Duggan, not sure how to say his last name, uh, the central gripe that he has is because developers have been pushed to integrate more closely with ops and start deploying infrastructure, and the there used to be sort of a buffer between developers and ops. And we say, you know, you threw it over the wall, but realistically, the, the original buffer was dev gave it to QA and QA gave it to ops and ops deployed it in production. And if something about that application didn't work, then it got pushed back through the process to the devs or maybe QA to fix the defect and then passed back to ops to deploy the application. And then... You know, his, his central complaint is first QA was removed. And then secondarily, uh, devs started not giving as great documentation about how to deploy the app and then started blaming a lot of the app deployment issues on infrastructure components. And to a certain degree are now treating the ops folks like they are the dev group's IT departments you know, the person they go to for all support issues and that they're not doing the basic homework of actually looking at an error and seeing what it is and doing a little bit of troubleshooting before just ringing up the ops group and 
having them troubleshoot the issue and figure out what the problem is, and sometimes send back to the dev links to documentation that they should have read about their own programming language. And the thing is, everything that he puts in the post, I feel. I have seen it. I have been around it. I totally understand where he's coming from as someone who started in the data center and in the sort of mode that he's talking about and then moved, especially when I moved into consulting, to more of a flexible role and started adopting more DevOps principles and seeing that done well and seeing that done badly. I understand his points of frustration and it's a very personal experience for him. You can see that he's not he he speaks in generalities to a certain degree, but in reality there's only so many places that he could have worked, which means that he's actually just speaking from personal experience. And Honestly, that's all any of us have initially is our own personal experiences. The only way to get a larger view of what's actually happening in the industry is to take a whole bunch of people who all have their own individual personal experiences and coalesce that information into some sort of report, some sort of scientific analysis that says, okay, well, 10% of the people are having these extreme problems with adopting DevOps, and they're going to be the loudest about it because they're having problems, but the other 90% are doing okay or doing well. Now I'm making up these numbers. I don't know what the actual numbers are. And maybe it's skewed in the other direction where 75% of people really struggle with DevOps adoption. They're not doing it well. There's not good communication between Dev and Ops. The way that deployments go is not particularly good. There's a uh, it, there's too much of a focus of features over functionality. There's too much of a focus on pushing out releases versus security. Like there's definitely a lot of concerns. That could be the realistic picture is 75% of people are in the same boat as as the author. And only 25% of organizations are actually executing on this vision well. So I, I get where the post is coming from, but I also worry that the what that that there's the solution is to what go back to exactly how we were doing stuff pre cloud and pre DevOps because I don't feel like that was necessarily as great as he might be remembering. And there's two big factors coming to this. One, it sounds like from his personal experience, he was in an organization that was doing application development properly, given that older waterfall model where you had a separation of development and ops. So that was a good experience, a positive experience. And plus, generally speaking, our memories tend to lock onto things that were good and things that were really bad and not onto the things in between. So if we had a good experience, that's the thing that is he's going to remember. And our memories just tend to amplify those things, which is why you look so fondly sometimes back on things that happened in the past or tend to think that things were better back then. And I like to avoid that kind of mentality. How do you avoid that kind of mentality? What's the cure for nostalgia? Well, the cure for nostalgia is science. It's it's studies. It's looking at what the actual data says about how people are adopting DevOps, where they're actually running into issues, what the biggest concerns are in different organizations, and then what type of actions you could take in each organization to help, you know, fix whatever the problem is. 
And that's one of the things that the State of DevOps report traditionally showed. It was a big survey of a lot of organizations, and there was a lot of science behind what they were doing to try to account for, you know, self-selection in surveys and skewing of, you know, the people who are going to take a state of DevOps report are tend to be the organizations that are already doing DevOps. So they, they did to try to put a lot of statistical controls into that report to make it as, uh, as robust as possible and really avoid that well, this is my personal experience and I have an agenda type thing. Now, I'm not sure what the state of the state of DevOps report is now, but as of a few years ago, when it was still Jez Humble and Nicole Forgrins, I can never say her last name, but Nicole Forgrizen, um, when they were still doing it, uh, it I felt that that report really ac accurately depicted what was going on in industry. And individual results may vary, right? <laughs> Your personal experience, wherever you are right now, may resonate a lot with this blog post. And like I said, it resonated a lot with me. I, you know, I thought, to, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I totally agree with that. There was one thing where he talked about rollbacks and how, you know, developers are like, oh, you can just roll it back. And in ops world, we're like, I really can't. I made changes that are more difficult to roll back than they would be to to find a newer solution. And in my experience, rollback really doesn't mean rollback because we don't have a time machine. What it really means is roll forward to a state that is approximately like the state I had before I started the upgrade. That's that's really where you end up when it comes to this rollback mentality. So I, I guess if, if there's one thing that I would like you to take away, I definitely read the blog post. I think it's very worthwhile to read through and see what parts resonate with you. And I'm gonna include the link in the show notes, but at the same time, put on your scientist hat and go, okay, beyond a single person's experience at a few organizations, what's the larger experience of what's happening out there? And also, what are some solutions to the problems that the, the author is seeing in his organization? What are some ways that we could address that from the developer side as well as the operation side and the leadership side that oversees these teams. So I know those are my thoughts for today. I hope that you found them illuminating. And uh, that's going to do it for me for today and for the week. Thank you as always for listening. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe out there. Bye for now.